0: Uh, we are in the, uh, the middle of a, a series that will run right up to Easter considering the question of whether or not we really want to be disciples of Jesus and what that means. We're using the book of Matthew as a springboard for uh, this conversation and looking at some of the things that Jesus says uh, about discipleship, uh, some of the things that he uh, challenges with and this morning will be uh, no different. Uh, we've entitled this sermon, a, a Harsh Dose of Reality, as Jesus looks at some of our misconceptions about what it means to be right with God. I was going through an old box this week and and, uh, my assistant Jenny came across, uh, she was cleaning out one of the boxes, came across a letter, it's actually an essay, is what it says on the front, my essay, uh, that Katie, our daughter, our middle child, who is now almost 21, wrote when she was in eighth grade. And it's apparent from this uh, essay, which is front and back, and I'm going to read it for you in just a second. That she was in some sort of trouble, and she was trying to explain. Uh, I think it had probably was at a time where we said, "Well, you're you know you're too old to get a spanking. We can't do that anymore." But we want you to go to your room, and we want you to sit down and think about this. Never said that as a mom or dad, or had your you know your parents say, "Go think about this." Uh, well, this is Katie's thought process, and here's what she says about this particular uh, dilemma. It says, "My essay. Keep in mind, this was written by your very creative daughter <coughs> today." After coming home from an extremely stressful day, okay, 8th grade, I made some unwise choices with my very dear brother. My impatience with my wonderful brother led to house damages. (laughs) And my great, fun, brave, good-looking, and forgiving father being very upset with me. If I could go back, I would change how I handled this unfortunate situation. First of all, I would have found a nice, quiet place to study so that I would not have gotten annoyed with, uh, annoyed to death with my sweet brother. Second of all, I would have chosen an approach uh, to approach my brother in a different manner. Maybe I would have had an understanding, patient attitude. We could have avoided what was to come. Finally, I would not have told my beautiful, intelligent, understanding, creative, wonderful, smart, awesome, cool, and sweet mother about the situation. <laughs> Considering the previous times I have told on my brother, and have always gotten myself in trouble, I would have just let him deal with his own problem, uh, provided—wait—his own problem provoked uh, by horrible, mean, unkind me. <laughs> I also should have held back my tattling because I know I knew from yesterday that my gorgeous mother was not going to put up with any of my—you can't say that word in church. Uh, even though I was still this this makes you wonder whether you want to ask your children to think or not, <laughs> even though i was I still feel I am being blamed for cute little jordan 's actions, I still could have avoided this. I am also sorry if I inconvenienced anyone just because I have a final tomorrow that may determine what classes I take in high school and the college I go to <laughs> i 'm sorry. <laughs> This doesn't mean I have a right to be impatient with my awesome brother. I believe I have learned from my mistake and will think twice before I go near my dear little brother again. For, for impatience and overreacting uh, are a bad combination. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I probably need to start looking for a new job. Um, that letter, you know, you can—the the sarcasm is just dripping off of it, isn't it? You know, the fact that that. Uh, we accused wonderful Katie of, of something wrong, uh, but also do you hear uh, in between the lines and in some of the humor uh, do you hear that the human need to defend oneself the the need that we all have, i think to be right to be right with our fellow man to be to be right with our God, and what does that mean? What does it look like to actually have a right relationship with God? What does it look like to have a right relationship? With you and I, what does that take? What kind of outward action? What kind of behavior does it take on my part? Because you know we tend to we tend to justify ourselves, as as Katie did. You know, if it hadn't been for that you know big test that I had to study for tomorrow, you know, if I just thought a little bit and hadn't tattled on my brother, you know, if I hadn't said anything to mom, you know, like we wouldn't have noticed the house damages were a hole in a door. Uh, that's what the the house damages were. As if we would not have noticed that at some point. Uh, but but Katie's need, uh, just was a reflection, I believe, of my need and your need to be right. And we defend that at all costs. And we tend to justify ourselves by our own outward behavior. Uh, and each one of us could probably, if, if we've been around the church for any length of time, each one of us could probably fill in the phrase, you know, a good Christian would or a good Christian does the following. And, and each one of us could probably think of our list uh, of what a good Christian would do, you know, a good Christian would vote Republican, or a good Christian would vote Democrat, or maybe in my mind a good Christian uh, is is pro life and is against abortion, and in someone else's mind a, a good Christian uh, gives a woman a right to choose. A good Christian uh, is heterosexual and, and endorses marriage. Where do we draw the line? How do we determine what's good, what's right, and what's wrong? We tend to do that based on our own outward behavior and not necessarily after looking at the condition of our own heart. The problem with this is that it feels pretty good. You know, I'm sure Katie felt pretty good after she wrote that note. I think we tend to, when we look at our own behavior and say, well, I'm not as bad in so-and-so, or I live by a certain set of rules, a certain set of standards that everybody else ought to live up to, that feels pretty good. But the problem is we're not really making ourselves right. Tendency is going to be to excuse our sin and to actually live in hypocrisy. It's not discipleship. We say that everything's okay on the outside, but in fact, we could be living by this uh, manner and still have a dead heart. And Jesus says, this is a bad place to be not of good health for you spiritually. And, and you think about uh, not only ourselves as individuals, but think about us collectively as the group called Green Tree Community Church. What uh, would it be like if our discipleship, you know, that's one of our key pillars, growing disciples or uh, making disciples and growing them, uh, renewing community and planting churches. What would it be like if our discipleship was all centered around what you looked like on the outside? If I could just behave in a certain way, then I must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If that's The level, that's the surface level at which we stop. We ultimately won't grow in our discipleship and we'll plant unhealthy churches and we won't renew any community. So Jesus isn't going to leave us there. He's going to challenge this thought process about what makes us right before before God and before man. So if you have your Bibles, you would like to follow along in Matthew chapter 15. If not, the passage will be uh, on the screen. Uh, Jesus offers, I think, a, a harsh dose of reality and his understanding of what it means uh, to be in a right relationship with God. Hear the word of God. Matthew 15, it's a fairly long passage, 20 verses, so hang in there with me. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered him, and he answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what, I would have, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and he said, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. It's a reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, I ask that this morning, your Holy Spirit would come and move in this place and speak into our hearts the truth of the word of God. Lord, uh, I would guess that many of us are quick to believe that we're, we're right and in, in, in a good place because we behave in a certain way or we, we believe in a certain code, a certain moral standard. And that makes us okay. While all the while we never even pause to reflect on what might be going on in our hearts. So Father, I pray this morning that you would speak your truth. My word is irrelevant. It's not important carries no weight. It is only the word of God. So Father, forgive my sin that it wouldn't stand in our way of understanding your word and speak to your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what we're going to do with this passage very simply is we're going to take a couple of minutes and we're going to, that, that's a lie, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at the, uh, at the Pharisees and the scribes and their interaction with Jesus and what they thought about their own lives and what it meant to be right with God. And then we're going to look at Jesus' response and how his response to that group of folks some 2,000 years ago probably has some bearing on my life and on your life this morning. Uh, So first of all, let's take a look at at these Pharisees and, and scribes. Now, for those of you who don't know who these folks are, uh, if you haven't read a whole lot of the New Testament, the Pharisees of Jesus' day would be uh, the religious leaders of our day. So the rabbis of our day or the pastors of our day, uh, the priests of our day, the folks who who are the, the people who lead the church or lead the synagogue, so to speak. Those are the folks who who are the Pharisees. They're the ones who, who know everything there is to know, so to speak, uh, about the Bible. They're kind of the professional uh, religious folks of the day. And so they come in verse 1 and 2. Uh, they come to Jesus. And they say to him, uh, they come from Jerusalem, they say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. The first thing I want you to see about this group of folks is they're very confident that they're right. They say, you know, why don't your disciples keep with the traditions of the elders? Obviously, Jesus, the traditions of the elders are the things for which we should live. They're the rules that shape and form our existence. They're the things that make our culture what it is. They they give us guidelines by which which to live. Now, I want to say right off the bat that Jesus isn't condemning in this passage uh, the the traditions of the elders. He's not saying that all of those traditions are bad. He's not saying here, as we'll see towards the end, he's he's not talking about hand washing. But what he wants these folks to do is get beyond their self-confidence. And he wants them to look a little bit deeper. But these folks are very confident that they're correct. They have a tone of superiority. You know, your disciples, Jesus, are doing this. Our disciples, my disciples, Jesus, would never live in such a way. You know, these are the the Pharisees from Jerusalem. These are the guys from headquarters. And they've, they've heard about this. And they're coming to check it out with a sense of superiority, a spiritual superiority, a sense of spiritual confidence. Your disciples, Jesus, need to get on board. They need to get their act together. Have you ever tried to argue with a person who is just so confident in their own righteousness? Have you ever tried to to disagree with somebody who's just so smugly uh, confident in their own position? Uh, I'm a professional at that, actually. I'm very, very good uh, at being condescending Towards others, you can ask my wife Cindy about the first five or six years of our marriage and uh, some of the disagreements that we would have and the tone of of some of those disagreements. And we would we would have a difference of opinion about something and we'd be discussing that matter. Uh, the facts are we were fighting like cats and dogs. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. We were arguing. Uh, and we were going back and forth, but Cindy uh, is of German descent and she likes a good fight and, and she gets her blood going and she's very good at expressing herself. And she has no problem with kind of getting in your face and telling you exactly what she thinks. when we were first married, boy, she would just, she would come on strong and I would I would react and I would kind of go, man, she's, you know, I, I don't, don't, don't like this yelling stuff. I don't like this animated kind of arguing. And so I'd kind of sit back and I'd fold my arms and I'd be real quiet and I'd just sit and listen for a few minutes. And uh, after a few minutes, I'd, I'd say something like, now, are, are, are you done? Are, are we finished with the yelling? Do you think now perhaps the two of us could have a conversation between two adults that would be you know, mutually respectful, and then maybe we can come you know, to the conclusion of this in a, in a profitable way? Now, any of you that live with a person like that, I know you want to throw something at me right now. You know how infuriating that is for somebody to be so smug, and yet that was this group of folks. Like they're looking down on Jesus, they're looking down at his disciples, and they're telling him how it ought to be. And you you cannot miss that in this passage. There's a sense of spiritual authority in their lives that they can accuse Jesus and accuse his disciples of living in a wrong manner. To to which they're saying to Jesus, you can't really be Messiah. <laughs> You can't be who you claim to be if you don't follow the traditions of the fathers. Now, look at verse 12 with me for just a minute. I'm going to skip ahead. In verse 12, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus' response to the Pharisees was to say, "It's it's not what goes into the mouth that makes you unclean. In other words, you guys are talking about washed hands. I don't know why you're talking about that. It's something radically different, and that offended the Pharisees. Why did it offend them? It offended them because they were blindly loyal to their position. It never crossed their minds that they might have gotten off track. It never dawned in the deepest recesses of their hearts that perhaps they were going in a wrong direction. The traditions of the elders were just what you did. Jesus, these are our rules. This is what we follow, and we refuse to consider an alternative view. I'm reading a, a book about um, the, uh, some of the, the um, battles in World War II. And uh, the part of the book I'm in right now, I'm reading about Rommel's uh, Africa Corps and the battle between Montgomery and Patton and, and the northern part of the continent of Africa. And after the Battle of El Alamein, it was very clear that Rommel, who was out of supplies, uh, he wasn't getting uh, the reinforcements he needed. He wasn't getting the new equipment he needed the battlefield. Hitler had thrown everything at the Russians in the summer of '42, and, and uh, Rommel was kind of like the, the stepchild that was hoping for some crumbs off the table. And so Rommel assesses the battlefield, and he says, we've got to pull back. That's the only smart thing to do in this situation. If we don't, we're going to be obliterated. So if, if, if we're going to save any portion of this army, we've got to retreat to the high ground and, and dig in and hope for help to come along. Well, about the time Rommel is making this very rational military decision, he gets this note from Hitler. In the situation in which you find yourself, there can be no other thought but to stand fast, yield not a yard of ground, and throw every gun and every man into the battle. Ask to your troops. You can show them no other road than that to victory or death. Adolf Hitler. Hitler was blindly loyal to his position. In his headquarters in Berlin, he could see nothing else but his way. And so he insisted that Rommel blindly follow his orders. And that's where the Pharisees were. They never stopped to think, is this really addressing the issues of our hearts? They simply were offended by Jesus's comments, which meant that they were unrepentant. They had no need for forgiveness. They had no need for grace in their lives. They didn't see that they had broken the commandments of God. And so here are the Pharisees approaching Jesus with, with a sense of superiority, a sense of arrogance, a sense of loyalty to their way of life, unrepentant and unwilling to hear anything other than Jesus say, boy, fellas, you know you're right, we really ought to wash our hands before we, thanks for coming down here and pointing that out to me. I, I need to make sure I straighten out my disciples. But they get a very, very different response from Jesus. I want to look at that response for the next few moments. First thing I want you to see in verses uh, three and that middle sentence is out of verse six and that bottom sentence is out of verse nine. uh, Jesus kind of shoots back with some other questions. He says, why do you break the commandment of God? He goes on to say, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And then he says, as he quotes out of Isaiah, teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. The only thing I want to point out here is that Jesus has uh, a, a passion for the authority of God's word. That Jesus is making his argument, not based on how he feels, not based on on his impression of the Pharisees. He's simply going back to God's word. And he says, here's what God says to us. And this is what we need to understand. And this is what we need to apply to our lives. And, And I only bring that up to encourage every one of us, myself included, that as we address the issues of our heart, we must do so in the context of scripture. It can't be how I happen to be feeling today or how I'm reacting to what you may have said to me, or my look at my circumstances to determine uh, how I'm going to uh, make the decisions about the way in which I live. We need to live under the authority of scripture. So Jesus says very clearly, your traditions have gotten you away from God's word. I don't wanna encourage all of us to to seek to live under the authority and the direction of scripture as we consider what it means to be right with God. The second thing that Jesus does is he demands a self-assessment. Uh, look at uh verses three and just a couple uh comments out of verse three and five and seven. Jesus asks the question, "Why do you break the commandment of God and then in verse six uh verse uh, five excuse me he says, So for the sake of your tradition, you made void the Word of God. Uh, you know what go to the next screen i'm sorry i'm read- I'm repeating myself. This is verse three, and why do you for the sake of your tradition and then in verse five. He, he talks about scripture and then he says, but you say something different. And he gets to the end of the comment of verse seven. He says, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Jesus is calling these Pharisees as he's calling you and I this morning to an honest self-assessment. I, I think really at this moment, Jesus is incredulous. He really can't believe that the argument has gone to the surface level of washing one's hands to determine whether or not we are spiritually healthy. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, what are you guys thinking? Are are you really serious about this? Are you telling me that what we're talking about is clean hands? And Jesus won't tolerate our rule keeping as a substitute for a heart that needs to belong to him. He will not allow the Pharisees uh, to simply live in the comfort of following A, B, and C in order to prove that they are right with God without ever examining for a second their heart. I want to think about this in in the context of Green Tree Community Church. When's the last time you and I really sat down and examined our heart before God? And what impact does that have on this congregation? Well, how far will Green Tree Community Church get with its vision if we have this kind of mindset? What are the clean hands, so to speak, that we expect of those who come to Green Tree? What clean hands must, must people have in order to walk through our door? What do we say? You, if you come to Green Tree, uh, you must be pro-life and never have ever experienced an abortion in your life. You can't come to Green Tree unless you're heterosexual. You can't come to Green Tree unless you understand uh, the word of God and you've memorized scripture. You can't come to Green Tree unless, and we can fill in rule after rule after rule. But if we do that, friends... We'll be in danger of not even being a church, but rather what we'll become is a self-obsessed group of people who believe that by having a certain standard by which we live and forcing other people to come into that standard, that we will be right with God, when in fact all we're doing is drifting further and further from the truth. Jesus demands a self-assessment. He won't let us point the finger at anyone else until we first look in our own heart. Why do you, for the sake of your tradition, Jesus calls us to look into our hearts and to see what's there. This next thing is that Jesus does in this particular conversation is he clarifies his position. Look at verses 10 and 11. And he called the people to him and said, hear and understand. You know, in other words, make no mistake about it, friends. I want to make sure everybody gets this. What goes into the mouth, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person Jesus says this is not a matter of hands it's a matter of the heart it's not what you take in it's what you give out i was uh, i was working on the sermon yesterday kind of finishing up and I was coming home from the office and our office is on Monroe Avenue in downtown Kirkwood, right across from the old post office. And to get to my house, I just take Monroe all the way to the end down to Geyer and then make a couple of turns and, and I'm home. But the the street Monroe and Kirkwood parallels the railroad tracks. And anybody that lives in Kirkwood knows that, that uh, when you come to the end of Monroe, if there's a train there and everybody stopped, you can kind of get through and just head on down the road because the traffic's blocked both ways because of the train. But everybody that lives in that part of Kirkwood also knows if you time it wrong and you get them in row when the crossing guards are going up, there's 50 cars that way and 50 cars this way, and you're going to sit there for 10 minutes. Now, I have nothing to do yesterday afternoon, okay? It's about 2 o'clock. I finished my sermon. Everybody knows what the weather was like yesterday that, you know, it was miserable. I wasn't going to go outside and work in the yard. I had no plans. I was going to oh, maybe get on the treadmill, watch a little basketball, something like that. And I'm coming down Monroe Avenue, and there's a train coming the opposite direction. So I punch on the gas a little bit to get a little bit further down the road. And I come to the end of Monroe, and there's a car kind of blocking the intersection. And this car is going to turn right when the train goes by. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing in my way? Don't you know I don't have any place to go, and I'm in no hurry to get there? Get out of the way. And I literally vocalize. I literally am now yelling in my car things that I wouldn't say here on Sunday morning about this person who is in my ways blocking my path. Jesus says, don't you understand? It's not what you put in. It's what comes out. Because eventually, as much as you want to make rules, as much as you want to try and keep rules, eventually what's really in there is going to seep out. And it's going to be seen for what it is. So Jesus says, let's clarify the issue. This is a matter of the heart. And then look at verses 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered and said this, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus names the self-righteous, unrepentant enemies of the gospel for what they are. He calls it like he sees it. These men have no interest in the grace of God. They have no interest in people coming into the kingdom of God. All that they are interested in is making sure that their rules are kept and that everybody sees the world in the same manner in which they see. They're not interested in the grace and the mercy that God offers sinners. They're actually not even interested in the commandments of God that are found in the Old Testament. They've disregarded those for their tradition. And the only reason I point out that the critical response that Jesus has to these folks is because these men were in positions of leadership. These men had influence and sway over thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And they were leading as blind lead the blind. And we need to be very prudent as a congregation that whenever we place somebody in leadership, whether it's a pastor that comes on our staff, whether it's one of our deacons or whether it's an elder, wherever we we place a man or a woman in leadership, we want to make very, very sure that ultimately they're not enemies of the gospel, but that they embrace the gospel. That it's not about a set of rules but it's about a right relationship with God. In the next few weeks, we're going to be um, reopening our, our nominations and our process for selecting our officers. That's right around the corner. You're going to be hearing about that. And as we go through that process, we need to be so careful to make sure that we identify those people that, that they're not perfect. They're not trying to, to keep a set of rules. They're not all about their outward behavior, but rather their hearts are ignited and impassioned by the gospel, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their desire is to love Him because they've been loved by Him. Jesus names the self righteous for what they are, unrepentant enemies of the gospel. And then one other observation about Jesus' response is found in verses 18 through 20. Jesus is speaking, He said, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyway. anyone. Jesus addresses the true enemy. He not only clarifies it earlier, but now he addresses it succinctly. This is a matter of our heart. And he understands that this is how we are defiled. This is what corrupts our nature. It's not whether or not we can keep rules. We can do that all day long. That's not that much of a stretch. That's not that big of a problem for us. We can actually invent the rules that we're going to keep. We're wonderful at that, but Jesus says you've missed the point completely because out of the overflow of your heart, that's what comes out of your mouth, and you are defiled by that. You need God's grace to touch that, to change that. You need to repent of that sin, to come to God for forgiveness and grace, not come with arrogance and a smugness and an assurance that you're right before God when you're really as far away from him as you could possibly be. We were uh, Cindy and I were driving to, to Bible study about a month or so ago, I guess. We we meet with a group on Monday nights, every other Monday, and we were uh, driving. I actually remember with a conversation, we were at the corner of Adams and Kirkwood Road at the traffic light waiting for it to turn green, and Cindy gave me some information about uh, a person that I claim to love and be uh, fairly close to, and it was potentially bad information about this person and she's sharing this with me, and I'm kind of listening, and the light turns green, and we go on to Bible study, and we spend the rest of the evening with great friends and have wonderful Bible study and prayer, and we're on our way home literally about three hours later, and I I was at a stop sign, and I just stopped, and I looked at her, and I said, you know what? I just realized something. You told me something about a person that I claim to love, and it was was important news. It, It was potentially bad news, and I had the emotional reaction of you. You could have said to me, the sky is blue, Tom, And I would have had the same emotional attachment to that statement, in other words, none, that I did to the comment you made earlier. And I just i looked at her I said, what's wrong with my heart? How can I be that bad? And Cindy, who really is a great wife, she doesn't yell at me anymore. (laughs) And she had great reason to yell at me in the first few years of our marriage. She she started you know Tom it's not, that's not your fault you know that you guys haven't really been engaged with one another and you know you shouldn't feel bad about that and you know the other person has to do stuff just like you know and she was really trying to be kind and gentle with me and I really appreciated that but you know what I I, you know, I said to her I said Cindy that's not the point the point is that there there's sin in my heart and I didn't even know it was there It took me three hours <laughs> to even think gee wasn't there something wrong with the fact that I didn't emotionally connect with that person's pain. I didn't even care. Jesus is right when he identifies our heart as what defiles us. So what do we do with that? Well, you know, Jesus says, friend, I'm going to give you a harsh dose of reality. I'm not going to let you off the hook. We're not going to play games here. You tell me you're going to wash your hands, and I'm going to say, so what? That means nothing. How do you respond to that kind of challenge that Jesus puts out for us this morning? Think on the one hand, we could become indignant at Jesus and his rebuke, and we could continue in in the traditions that we've set up, whatever those might be in our lives, and we never stop to think or even consider the negative impact that it has on the people around us, maybe on Green Tree Community Church as a whole, and we're oblivious to the calamity that awaits our own soul. You can walk out of this room today and not give this passage of Scripture another thought, and continue to keep your rules and continue to feel good about yourself. I can walk away from this passage like, you know what, Tommy, really isn't about your heart, you're a good guy. You're a pastor at a church. You do nice things for people. Don't let it get to you. We can ignore the challenge that Jesus puts before us, or perhaps there's a better response. We can see Jesus's confrontation of our pitiful spiritual condition as an invitation to healing an invitation to life. Jesus didn't tell the Pharisees this because he hated the Pharisees. He told the Pharisees this because he knew they needed to see their sin for what it was. And they needed his healing. And they needed his grace and his mercy to flow into their hearts. He knew that they didn't need to defend themselves. He knew that they didn't need to to go home and, and write their essay, you know, prove to everybody that they really were a good person, they didn't need to be blindly loyal to their position. What they needed was to have their hearts exposed by the light of the gospel so that they could experience forgiveness and healing and grace in order that they might be a people who live in that grace and invite others to enter into that experience of healing and mercy and forgiveness. We pray with me.